The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. Treasury yields continue to spike, pushing U.S. majors lower as investors position themselves for a quicker-than-expected dial-back in monetary support. Billionaire investor Ray Dalio tells CNBC the Fed is in a tricky position. The problem with that type of monetary policy is that there's a great deal of interest rate sensitivity. And because it's gotten so far and so extreme, just the pulling back of that is a very delicate thing. The WHO warns that a tsunami of COVID cases is overwhelming global health systems, but says there's no need to end 2022 in a pandemic. We need vaccine equity, treatment equity, test equity, and health equity. And we need your voices to drive that change. Scores of people have been killed in clashes in Kazakhstan and at least 3,000 are detained as Russian troops are called in to help restore order. Plus, President Biden blames his predecessor, Donald Trump, for instigating the deadly January the 6th Capitol Hill riots as America marks the one-year anniversary. You can't be patriotic when you embrace and enable lies. Those who stormed this Capitol, and those who instigated and incited, and those who called on them to do so, held a dagger at the throat of America. Meanwhile, in corporate news, Samsung estimates Q4 profit jumped 52% on the year, on the back of strong chip demand, with the South Korean giant set for its best close to a year since 2017. to say there's been significant rate concerns in the market this week so there'll be a closely watched uh, uh, focus on this jobs report today on the back of a very tight labor market that the fed described in its minutes out this week now let's just get to the expectations here as the u.s economy likely ended 2021 with a month of solid job growth as hiring picked up before the latest surge in omicron related infections the Labor Department is set to release its December employment report later today, with payrolls expected to more than double from the previous month, while the unemployment rate is forecast to dip. While the impact of the Omicron variant is not expected to have impacted hiring December, it is expected to show up as a drag in January. And just a note on that, people who are sick or in quarantine and do not get paid uh, during that payroll survey, they are counted as unemployed. So that's what we're looking out for in the December and January numbers. And the participation rate, very key here. Don't forget people had started to come back into the labour force, confident around the situation on the back of vaccines. But whether Omicron has started to dent that, that's quite significant and will be what the market will be looking for in this report card, along with any pickup in the hour earning Steve. Yeah, morning, Karen. Yeah, let's just put a health warning out there at the top of this show for, for those of us who've been looking at payroll for 30 odd years. 
as opposed to some of you who've never seen a rate hike. Look, look, here's the point. Don't worry about the flash number, all right? Let's just have a take a deep breath when you see the headline figure because it's a random flip of a coin, whether it's 200,000 jobs created, 500,000 jobs created, 800,000 jobs. I've seen that one out there somewhere as well. The, the fact of the matter is, it is, as Karen was pointing out, and I'll do it as vociferously as I can, have a look at the participation rate. It matters. Have a look at the average hourly earnings. That really matters at the moment. See where the wage inflation is coming through. And take a look at the unemployment rate as well. These are the things that the Fed is looking at. They are far more reliable indicators than the flash headline figure as well. So when you see the number, take a pause, wait for the other three numbers. All right, everybody? Are we all together? Good morning, Friday. Uh, Friday, as our director calls it. Right, the number of Americans filing new claims for unemployment benefits uh, unexpectedly rose last week. Initial jobless claims edged up by 7,000 to a seasonally adjusted 207,000 for the week. Uh, that ended 1st of January. That number still remains uh, roughly at the lowest level in decades. And let me give you some context on that number. The average figure in 2019, i.e. when we had a stunningly hot market, when we had what the Fed was calling them pretty much full employment, the average uh, um, uh, unemployment uh, initial claims was 218,000, all right? And we've just turned in a 207 figure as well. So below the average of when we had full employment in 2019. Right, separately, US consumer demand also drove a surge in imports in November, pushing the trade deficit. Remember, we used to talk about that a lot, especially under the previous administration. You know, we're going to get to a net zero. Yeah, it doesn't work out like that, does it? Uh, the trade deficit now $80.2 billion, putting it close to the record set last year. Now, uh, minutes of the Federal Reserve's December policy meeting published this week was really the highlight or the low light, as far as you're concerned. Um, Fed officials might need to raise rates sooner than expected and begin reducing the assets holding to tame higher inflation. We, we knew there was a taper going on. We knew rates was going up, but it was the reducing of the asset base, which is a mean $8.5 to $9 trillion over at the Fed. That was the key, isn't it? So the St. Louis Fed President James Bullard was one of the first Fed speakers to talk about the balance sheet runoff, saying he supports it in tandem with higher rates. Now, separately, the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank President Mary Daly says the U.S. economy is closing in on the central bank's employment and inflation goals, adding that while rate hikes are necessary, they should be measured. Well, you heard from him in the headlines. Let's do a little bit more here. Bridgewater Associates founder Ray Dalio sat down with Closing Bell yesterday to discuss the rising rate environment and the country's balance sheet, describing it as a delicate balancing act. Even modest changes are going to have an effect. And so you're going to see a monetary tightening taking place also where the rate of uh, fiscal spending and what will come down. Both will be very large. The fiscal deficit will be very large and the monetary stimulation by level basis will be very large, but it'll be coming down. So they'll have to be testing those breaks and finding out, and we all will find out, uh, you know, exactly how much they can handle. It's a risky situation. 
It was a cautious old day on the street yesterday. Uh, major markets reversing a second downbeat session for the Dow, a third for the S&P and Nasdaq. And you can see by the percentage reversals, it wasn't a huge swing south. And in fact, if you look at the Nasdaq in particular, where there's been a real pain point around the rate uh, concerns, you've seen this market only sliding another tenth of a percent. So some of the more aggressive selling are uh, really staggered towards the early part of the week. But it is non-farm payrolls Friday. The market will be closely uh, looking at that data. We may see a bit more volatility the trade. That's what we're watching. But in terms of the reversal for stocks, big names that have been moving the market to the upside in 2021, really behind the moves to the downside. And that continued in session yesterday. Apple, for instance, uh, the most negative for the S&P and for the Nasdaq. In terms of what we've seen at a sector level, banks, though, still somewhat supportive. It's been a fairly stellar trade over the course of the week for these banks. And that continued in session yesterday. You can see one of the bright spots, Citigroup, but trading up th- uh, three, and three, qu- three and a quarter of a percent. I should say 2.5 on Wells Fargo, but uh, mostly strong, the exception really Goldman Sachs. But in contrast, to what you saw in technology stocks, this sector has been trading firmer. There have been gains, very strong gains of about 7.5% over the course of the week for the KBE, the ETF that tracks the banks, in contrast to selling of 6% on the FANG Plus stocks. So huge dispersion between those bets over the course of this week. And let's just take a look at the, the tech sector yesterday and some of those individual plays. I mentioned Apple was down. It was uh, falling 1.6 plus percent. Netflix down 2.5. That's one we've seen a, a fairly steep fall in this week. Tesla too adding to some of the recent losses down 2.1 although a couple of bright spots around meta and nvidia that uh, stock nvidia trading up two percent to treasuries we have moved fairly uh, aggressively too in a short period of time on some of these trades the 10-year for instance 20 basis points are jump in the course of just one week and we're trading 1.72 this morning just drifting off the higher overnight range of 1.75 percent and you can see at the short end where we see those interest rate expectations priced we're at 0.87 and a lot more chatter around this live meeting in March that has moved the two-year. I want to take it to the dollar that has been supported over the course of this week, although morning session we are seeing a little bit of a fade as other currencies pick up some speed. Sterling and Euro, for instance, uh, managed to gain some traction, but it will be an interesting day for Forex markets as we watch this jobs report later on today. Dollar has it versus the safe haven Japanese yen, a little bit weaker versus the yuan here. And to Asia. The early trade this morning is firmer, so snapping a couple of days of losses. Hong Kong in particular leading the charge, 330-odd points to the upside at this point and climbing above 23,400 points. That is a strong trade. Australia also in the range, a pop of 1.3%. Shanghai moves higher by a modest third of a percent, but some caution in Japan, which has given up some of those early gains. And these markets, don't forget, will be closed later on when that jobs report crosses. So fairly bold moves at this stage that we're seeing. And let's get out to uh, more from that exclusive interview with billionaire investor Ray Dalio on the tricky position that the Fed is in. The problem with that tightening of monetary policy is that there's a great deal of interest rate sensitivity. And because it's gotten so far and so extreme, just the pulling back of that is a very delicate thing. Um, We're in a situation that... um, Uh, the raising of interest rates and the tightening of monetary policy begins the uh, process. Uh, In the third year of a cycle, as we're in, that normally is not enough to send the cycle down. It could send financial asset prices lower. Um, But I would expect that if you understand the short-term cycle, this typically seven-year type of cycle, in terms of expansions and recessions, 
Uh, it's the beginning of the testing of the brakes. So not necessarily a recession, but could see some some increased volatility. You, you've said you don't want to be in cash right now and you don't want to be in bonds. But if the Fed does embark on this tightening and slows the economy and the markets, that, that feels like it would be a pretty turbulent time for equities. The important thing to realize, I think, is that the Federal Reserve and all central banks will have to keep a negative interest rate, a negative real interest rate. Um, right now, um, bond yields have um, you know a negative real interest rate of you know nearly you know one and a half two percent, depending on where, and the cash rate is minus four percent. So that all investors um, will be in a position where the value of their money in cash or in bonds will not keep up with inflation. I think investors need to think about, think about returns differently. I think they look at the amount of the returns in nominal dollars. How many dollars do I have? And they don't look at the amount that they have in relation to real dollars. In other words, adjusted for inflation. And while um, there can be somewhat of a tightening, um, it can't be enough of a tightening to raise those returns on cash and bonds to be good enough to compensate for inflation. Let's bring in Scott Teal, Chief Fixed Income Strategist of BlackRock. Scott, Happy New Year to you. We've started out 2022 with a lot of noise on markets as investors try and place their bets around the timing and the pace of rate hikes. But that said, we're still looking at minutes from the Fed that does not really take into account Omicron at this point. We're waiting for some jobs data today that could be significant. The market's trying to just work out what comes next if we're looking at a live event in March and just how quickly rate hikes come over the course of this year. What's your view? I think the, the I think the minutes there were two interesting things about the minutes as you were just talking about in the beginning of the of the program. The first is that the Fed compares the withdrawal of the QE program or the the uh, the, the pullback on the QE program and the rate cycle relative to previous times in history. You know, we have been at uh, at great length to stress that this is a restart, not a recovery. This is not a normal business cycle, and so in some respects, comparing uh, you know rate hike cycles or the QE program to previous cycles, in, in some respects, doesn't get at the very unique nature of, of the restart uh, and obviously of the, of the COVID-related reopening uh, that we've seen. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind as, as we talk about this. The second is clearly that they did uh, you know, suggest that the range of policy, just, uh, of policy could be wider. So they've increased kind of the risk around a faster uh, QE uh, unwind and then uh, and then a rate cycle, um, but I do think it's important to take a deep breath and take a step back for a second. Right, real rates have come up quite a lot. You talked about it. You know, we've seen a 20, 25 basis point increase in real rates as well at the beginning of the year, but they're still very low by historic standards. And when we look at actual pricing of monetary policy shifts, it's moved, but it hasn't moved that much. Right. In the next two years, we've seen, you know, 15, 20 basis points of increased uh, rate expectations in that, two, that 2023 kind of middle part of the, of the cycle. Uh, and, and that is something, but I don't think it's a, it's a gigantic shift. I think what the market is focused on is, you know, it came into the beginning of the year, right, with the idea of what are the trades I want to put on? 
And one of them that was, was obvious to us was that rates are too low relative to everything we know about the fundamentals, relative to what we've seen in the equity markets. Uh, and so I think the investors got on that trade very early in the year, obviously the first day of the year. But then you've also had, you know, the Omicron news has been on balance, I would say, better than the worst fears that we had when it first broke. And so when we look at the 10-year Treasury, for example, it's basically back to where it was right before the Omicron news came. Um, so I think it's a confluence of, of factors, one being that the, the minutes did reveal what we're calling kind of hashtag confusion, which is that there's a wider range the uncertainty around policy is increasing as we get to the to the what we're calling the kickoff point or the or the beginning of monetary policy withdrawal. And then also I think that the news around the virus, albeit you know, the number of cases is is very, very high. The number of hospitalizations is low. You know, we have twice as many hospitalizations in the US at the peak and half as many hospitalizations. So the 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 number of cases is twice and the hospitalizations is half. So I think it's a confluence of many factors, but in my mind, it's the it's the combination of the Omicron news and and the Fed minutes that are driving markets. Uh, Scott, uh, we've got James Bullada overnight calling for a rate hike sooner rather than later. I remember last time around uh, the financial crisis, he was one of the early Fed members to call and point to inflation, say, look, we need to start moving on policy. I know you, you just made the point that this time is a little bit different, but is there an argument for front-loaded interest rate hikes this year, given we've seen the inflation numbers move higher and we could be closer to full employment than the, the Fed thinks at this point because of that participation rate? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, there's obviously going to be a, bit, a debate about when kickoff begins. I mean, in our mind, March is, is too soon. You know, we've always called for mid-2020 kickoff. And again, we're using kickoff, not liftoff, to separate it from a, you know, an aggressive tightening cycle, which we haven't uh, heretofore seen. Um, but, but I think the, the important point, which you just said, is that, you know, we, the Fed's has ticked the box, if you will, in the British expression, ticked the box on inflation. Uh, and obviously, the employment number is going to be very important because that is the 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 next and the last kind of thing they the, the test that we need to get over. Um, but I don't think it's again. I would take a take a deep breath. I don't think it's about kind of March, May, June. It's about the total pace, and about, it's about the total quantum, and about the pace. And we would still suggest that when we look at things like the terminal Fed funds rate, where does the highest Fed funds rate price in the curve now? You know, it's just over 2%. In a normal business cycle, if we were in a normal business cycle, that number we would think would be closer to 4% because of the inflation dynamics that we're facing now. So I still think that there is going to be a, you know, the, the, the policy rate increase is going to be, you know, Scott. very low relative to historics. Uh, very good morning. Happy New Year to you, Scott. Oh, you must get into 2022. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for nothing. I mean, you've got Dalio saying nah, not bonds. You've got the Fed indicating it's a tough place for, to be in bonds. And you've got your own team. Your own team. I read your entire BlackRock 2022 outlook and it was like, yeah, don't go near bonds as well. So what's left for you? You're the fixed income strategist. Apart from a little bit of inflation linked, where, where should anyone put their money in fixed income this year? Well, yeah, no, I mean, I would agree. You know, we, we, we are identifying this as a potential regime shift to have two years of negative bond performance in a row is, as you know, historically very unusual, noting that last year, right, last year was the worst year for bond performance in 20 years. 
Um, so a significant, you know, poor performance. And we expect that to, you know, to continue, perhaps not as negative, but to continue negative. You know, for us, equity markets are, are, are a market that looks to be attractive for investors. We use, you know, for particularly for our valuations, we use the financing rate uh, as an important input into our equity risk premium model. And so we still come out positive uh, on equities. As you know, we like developed market equities over emerging market equities because of the virus and vaccine dynamics. We like China standalone, both from a bond perspective and from an equity perspective. Within fixed income, we continue to like inflation-linked bonds. We don't like government bonds. And we like uh, emerging market local debt, so the currency component to that. So for us, it's, it's not about being invested in treasuries. Investment-grade credit looks to be subject to potential poor performance because of rate move. So we like emerging market local bonds and fixed income, uh, and we like inflation-protected bonds. But overall, be very clear, overall, we're expecting, you know, again, a potentially a negative performance for bonds in 2022, again, which would be significant in the two years in a row. Yeah, it's a tough message, isn't it? It's a fixed income strategist. Yeah, don't know fixed income. Uh, m- 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 the, the, the real exciting thing this year, if you can call it, oh, yeah, let, let's be honest about it, Scott. You, you, you're telling me about other products out there as well, plus a bit of uh, linkers and that. And it's like, oh, it's hard to sell fixed income. Oh, I hear you, sir. I hear you. I've traded a few buns myself in my time. Now, um, the other thing that the key of this week was clearly the fact that the balance sheet runoff. Now, when you've got a treasury balance sheet, which is, I don't know, circa 8.7, 8.8 trillion dollars, that's going to be a ton of money potentially coming down the pipe as well. Where exactly do you see the pressure coming from the runoff of that balance sheet? I mean, is there anywhere specific you think they're really going to get it there? Well, I mean, I think they're very, you know, again, and in the minutes would, would suggest that they're, they're obviously very cautious, very thoughtful about reflecting on on the impact that they're going to have on the runoff. As you know, right, the, the balance sheet is much shorter than it's been, uh, pre- predominantly because of the mortgage-backed securities holdings that they have, which are tend to be shorter in, uh, in nature. So I think they're going to be very cautious uh, and very thoughtful about how that, uh, how that process goes. And, and remember, right, this is the beginning of the, they're cutting down on the number of purchases. So they're taking their foot off the gas pedal, right? They're not putting their foot on the brake yet. Um, and so we have a lot of uh, a lot of things to go through before we get to the point of, uh, of the runoff uh, of the actual portfolio itself. Um, and so, you know, you, you would say overall that when we look at the market's reaction, right, what it's been, it's been term premium has increased, right? That is, we're seeing a steeper yield curve. Um, as investors think about if, if the QE program is about a portfolio substitution effect for investors, right? So the central bank buys the government bonds from investors who then go off and buy riskier assets uh, and, and other products. And that in way helps to, uh, to, to create a, a better environment for the economy uh, and for markets. We are going to see the reversal of that, right? But I think it's going to be, again, very methodical. Uh, and I think that in many respects, you know, the reaction in rates is what we're seeing. And that to us is what we were looking for, right? We were looking for, you know, not very much of a change in monetary policy expectations, but higher rates through time, a steeper curve. So I think the short answer is that's where you're going to see it. And we're seeing that now. I think longer term, it's a more complicated and complex answer as the dynamics of the, of the QE program begins to unwind. 
Yeah, and then you add in the, the fact that uh, valuations are sky high, 22 times for the S&P, which is way above the historic average, and you add in the fact that EPS is going to come cratering from the growth levels of last year. It makes it fascinating, and that is why we turn to you, Scott, and others uh, year in, year out. Thanks very much indeed. Have a good year. It's going to be an interesting one as a, a fixed income strategist, let alone the chief one over at BlackRock's. Thanks, Scotty. <laughs> uh, and also, there is a very good article. Yeah. Whew. Um, there's a very good article on, on CNBC.com, which I looked at and disagreed with large parts of it as well. But go to the article and see what you think, because uh, for more on how the Fed's triple threat is scaring investors, check out CNBC.com. I agreed with a third and a bit of the article. I, I think it was about the balance sheet. I don't think rate hikes and I don't think really the tapering scared anyone this week. I think it was the fact that suddenly you've got this balance sheet tsunami which could come onto the market, which, uh, 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 as Scott was saying there, could force some of the... Uh, well, the riskier assets to reassess. Anyway, coming up on the show, we're going to bring you the latest news on the Omicron variant as one country brings in the army to help support hospitals in crisis. And you can check out the Squawk Box podcast uh, for more on what we can expect from today's non-farm payroll. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back. The WHO has pushed back against characterizations of Omicron as mild, but conceded it does appear to be less severe uh, than the Delta strain. Well, the director general of the WHO warned that the variant is still hospitalizing and killing people and cited a familiar enemy in the fight against coronavirus. Vaccine inequity is a killer of people and jobs and it undermines a global economic recovery. Alpha, Beta, Delta, Gamma, and Omicron reflect that in part because of low vaccination rates, we have created the perfect conditions for the emergence of virus variants. Last week, the highest number of COVID-19 cases were reported so far in the pandemic. And we know for certain that this is an underestimate of cases because reported numbers do not reflect the backlog of testing around the holidays, the number of positive self-tests not registered, and burdened surveillance systems that miss cases around the world. 
Let me just tell you something. Karen are employed to be professional cynics. That's part of what I see journalism as as well. So let me just read you the following story, then just uh, open it up with Karen briefly. In the United Kingdom, 200 military personnel will be deployed to London hospitals to ease staff shortages caused by COVID. Uh, one in six hospital trusts in the NHS has declared critical incidents because of staff shortages, uh, with around 10% of health workers absent on New Year's Eve. My, my cynicism is heightened, Karen, because... This is a headline from the government about 200 military staff being deployed to London hospitals. The NHS employs 1.4 million people. And the government's saying the army's sending in 200 staff? I'll just leave that one there for our viewers. I think we're coming down to essential services now being in question because effectively Omicron is taking out so many people. I mean, we've seen just how infectious it's been, even if you've had vaccines. So those on the front line have been compromised at this point. And I think perhaps it's more symbolic of just emergency measures in case they are required. And I don't think they're doing anything on the front line in terms of administering medicine, Steve. I think they're, they're helping with the cleanup and just a couple of basics in and around major hospitals at this stage. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.